0: Hey. <laughs> okay, so uh, let's, let's jump into the teaching. Now, you, you're probably aware of this, but uh, sometimes we're not always aware of this. But one of the things the Bible stresses is that when we get together like this, that Christ is this guest among us. he's actually a guest he's actually here and he uh honors us with his presence and i want to walk us through a story in the book of luke that that parallels this situation of uh, where there's this place where jesus is invited as a guest into this man's home Uh, and we find ourselves in this situation every week, and I think sometimes, like like you'll see in the story, it's really easy to take Jesus for granted, and we don't realize really who's in our midst. And so I wanna look at the story, because I think it, it offers us an, an opportunity to understand what God offers us when Christ is a guest among us. So if you have a Bible with you, or if you don't have a Bible, uh, under the chair seats in front of you, there are paperback Bibles that look like this. And we're going to be reading from page uh, 717 in uh, Luke chapter 7, verse 36, if you want to open your Bible there, page 717 in the paperbacks. So I'm going to start reading right here. Uh, oh, let me tell you something just to briefly. This, this little story is like a th- it's like a three-act play. Okay, so when, as I read it to you, I want you to just notice that there's sort of three scenes within this this story. And it starts with someone's home, this man named Simon, his home is visited by this extraordinary guest. Second, this extraordinary guest is uh, unfortunately dishonored. He's ignored, actually. So he's a guest that... that, that is in great demand and this man simon invites him into his home and then he ignores him third this extraordinary extraordinary guest surprisingly offers simon the host this extraordinary gift okay so those are the three things you're going to see and each one of them we'll, we'll, we'll break them down there's a little uh, insight from each one of them for us so Starting in verse 36. Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. Now, if you don't know what reclined at table, sometimes in big banquets, uh, they would sit at, they were like couches, and a guest would, would recline. I don't know how you ate when you did this, but they would kind of lie on the couch. They'd put their arm on the table, and they would eat, and they would talk, but everyone had couches. I used to think, wow. Where do you store the couches when you're not having a t- the banquet? I don't know. That's, I guess that's past my pay grade. But that was their custom. So it says uh, he was reclining at table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet, so she's standing behind him, and, you know, uh, Jesus is a guest. He's reclining on this table. She's standing at his feet. She began to weep and wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, kissed his feet, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, because that's what people were saying. Jesus is, he, was, he wasn't just a rabbi, he was a prophet. They, they, you know, if you read... Up through the Gospel of Luke to this point, Jesus did some amazing things. And it says, uh, if this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of a woman she is, that she's a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. And this was a custom that people would invite uh, rabbis from the synagogue, because this scene happened like right after a synagogue gathering, Jesus is in town a Pharisee, this, you know, he's a well-known religious leader. He invites Jesus over to a banquet at his home, uh, so supposedly in Jesus' honor. And then what they expected was that the rabbi would, would teach some more, would make some more comments or offer some instructions that would be helpful to the people. So when Simon uh, has Jesus say, I have something to say to you, I think he's just going, well, Jesus is going to make some general remarks about you know, something in the law. But, but you're going to see Jesus speaks directly to him. So he says, he tells everyone, but Simon in particular, this little parable. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, which is like 500 days wages. So, you know, roughly a year and two-thirds of salary. He had borrowed that much, and it says uh, he couldn't pay it back. So one man owned 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he canceled the debts of both, which is really unusual. Now, Jesus asked Simon, which of them, those two debtors, would love the money lender more? It's a pretty simple, straightforward question. Simon says, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon. So the woman's behind him. Jesus is talking to Simon. Maybe Simon was right next to him. Maybe he was across the table. He says, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet. Which is customary hospitality for any guest. Not just the guest of honor. So basically, this man brought Jesus into his home. He gave everybody else water for their feet. He welcomed them. He anointed their heads with oil, but he ignored Jesus. And so this woman comes in, sees this, and it says, "'You didn't give me any water for my feet, "'but she wet my feet with her tears "'and wiped them with her hair. "'You did not put oil on my head, "'but she has poured perfume on my feet. "'Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven.'" For she loved much, but he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to say amongst themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So... This is a pretty interesting story. There's, there's, there's several points in here that you know, we could go on rabbit trails on. I just want to focus on the idea that Jesus was a guest at this gathering. And then being this extraordinary guest, in fact, you know the host didn't really realize how unusual and extraordinary of a guest Jesus was. And so that's the first point I want to take up. Because the, one of the last statements in this story was the people go... Who is this? Because when Jesus forgave this woman's sin, all of a sudden it explained, it put two things together. How could a woman like this undergo such an amazing transformation? I mean, look at her devotion to Christ. Look at her being willing to take one of the tools of her trade because she's probably a prostitute. Her perfume, which is a part of their trade. You know, They lived in a time where everyone didn't shower regularly, right? And so she would use perfume to you know, enhance the experience. But she, what she had was very, very expensive perfume. In fact, this perfume, scholars have said, would be worth a year's wages. And she's pouring it on Jesus' feet because she doesn't want to disturb him. So she's standing behind him. And they see this change of character and change of heart in this woman, and they marvel at it. And then they realize... This is the result of Jesus forgiving her of her sins. And so they say, you can read through the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you'll get this common refrain. People would meet Jesus and they would see him do these amazing things and they go, who is this that even the wind and the storms obey him? Who is this? Or just a chapter or two before this, Jesus stopped a funeral procession, touched the dead boy, and raised him from the dead because he was the only son of a widow. Raised the little boy from the dead. People went bananas. You remember a few weeks ago when Tim Troyer was here and he told a story about uh, this young convert sharing, uh, uh, going and praying for one of his neighbors who had died and him being raised from the dead right there? Those kinds of things happen in the name of Jesus still today. Jesus would see these people with these uh, out-of-control lives. and you know, People understood back then, and, and some people do today, that they're demonic, they're supernatural powers that can invade someone's life and completely take over their life and just ruin them. Jesus, and, and, and those people can't, aren't helped by anything or anybody, and their lives are just wrecked. Jesus would come along and encounter them and set them free, and people would go, who is this that even the demons obey him? They would hear this wisdom. Jesus would, would say things that just stopped the show, that changed people's lives. And people would go, who is this? So this Pharisee, Simon, he invited Jesus into his home, but he didn't really know who came into his home. It, he said, you know, it, it, it infers in here that he, he, Jesus had the reputation of being a prophet because prophets did those kind of things in the Old Testament. But prophets didn't forgive sins. This was like another order of person. And so he's curious. He invites Jesus into his home. And this, who is this, is, is the same person that, that we welcome. He comes when we gather every week. In fact, even if two or three of you gather at work or in your home or at you know, Starbucks, sitting in your car, Jesus is right there with us. The same Jesus that we're reading about here. This extraordinary guest. And so what we're talking about today is, is hosting the guest. We host the, capital T, capital H, capital E, guest every week when we get together. So the, the, this man and us have that in common. Secondly... This man failed to show, though, the, the customary, just neighborly hospitality when Jesus came in. Which was interesting, given the fact that th- that culture was very, very attuned to demonstrating hospitality. Especially to really important guests. And Jesus was felled at, at this point... He isn't very controversial at this point when you're reading the Gospels. There's hardly any stir or pushback or controversy around him. It's going to kick in pretty soon if you read the book of Luke because Luke is more or less chronological. And so you see the developments of the story of Jesus more clearly, whereas Matthew and Mark kind of mix them up and organize the Gospel a little differently. But Luke is telling the story sort of from the beginning to the end, the story of the life of Jesus. And so Simon fails to extend this basic hospitality when you came in the house, because they walk through muddy, dirty streets, you know, where, where animals, uh, there's, you know, you know what was on the streets, right? You get it? People walk through it, then they come in your house, that, so it was, it was sort of like, you know, we want to show you hospitality, but we also don't want you tracking that in our, our house, so they would have their servants in a big home of wealthier people like this Pharisee probably was, they would wash people's feet. It was just a courtesy. It was, in fact, it was a courtesy for your own home. But they didn't do that for Jesus. Secondly, when you would come in, they would welcome you, they'd hug you. I don't know if you've ever been in a culture, like my family in Texas are huggers. And sometimes I hug people and people kinda of go, you know, I could tell, oh, you're not from a hugging culture. And so I've learned to kind of give them the, the safe shoulder hug. You know, you're like that, just a real quick, well, nothing weird going on. I'm a pastor. I'm not one of those kind of pastors, right? But my family, you know, you come into my family, they just slobber all over you, and they give you a new name, like we were joking with Jeremy about that, because <laughs> every, everybody in my family has nicknames. You know, I don't even know if I remember some of my family's names. But they're all cute nicknames. They're not, uh, like Terry Wardle talks about how his family used really cruel nicknames. My family wasn't like that. They were Southerners. His family was from, you know, western Pennsylvania. But my family, you know, uh, my nickname was Don D. Isn't that a wonderful name to have as a boy, you know? Don D. My friends would come over, and they'd go, Don D.? You know, Don D., that's like a little character in a book, Right? And my friends would kind of mock me with that. Because I couldn't say when I was a kid, John Lieb. I'd say, Don D, you know. That was this when you were a little kid. So that stuck with me. I have cousins. I saw, I saw one of them. T- talked to him on the phone when I was in Texas a couple weeks ago. Hey, Don D. <laughs> I'd just give him the silent treat for, for a minute to remind him I don't like that. <laughs> but, but when you came into these homes, they hugged you. They kissed you on the face. It was a sign of affection. It was a sign of hospitality and kindness. Jesus came in. Everybody else gets the treatment. They ignore, this host ignores Jesus. Then, on top of that, they would also show this kindness of they would take perfume and they would put it and just put a dab on someone's forehead or on their, the top of their head. And it would just create this, you know, more pleasant experience for someone who's at a banquet. And so everybody's got this sweet uh fragrant perfume on. The whole home was full of it except Jesus. So you get the picture? How this is awkward. This is rude. Then on top of it, he gets seated at the place of honor, and he's been ignored and dishonored essentially, right? This woman comes up behind Jesus and starts weeping and, and with her tears wiping his feet and then and wiping off the dirt and the sludge with her hair. And it's obviously she's, uh, she's just showing this fe- affection and honor for Jesus and she's kissing his feet and she's pouring this expensive perfume on his feet. So she's doing what should have been done. But because everyone knows she's a prostitute and everyone was puzzled, though, by her behavior... She's honoring the prophet, but she's a prostitute. What is going on here? And the fact that Jesus doesn't, like, shoo her away, because that's the way the Pharisee dealt with people like that. Now, you, you may wonder, well, how does, how does she get in his house if, if that's the way he treated people? Well, it was another custom. When you had a big banquet, uh, people could come into it. You had to you know, be hospitable, maybe in a way that you weren't normally. And so she comes in, she hears about Jesus, she comes in. And she has this reputation, and there's three things that she did that we used to need to take note of, because I, I, I want to mention it now instead of the end, because I think there's something else we should do at the end. But she recognized how extraordinary Jesus was when other people didn't, okay? So we're supposed to take note of that. If people around us, when we gather, they aren't honoring Jesus faithfully, because for whatever reason, maybe they used to recognize him, and be devoted to him, but they're not as much. They're a little restrained. We need to recognize who he is. That's how it starts. Secondly, she came to the gathering prepared to honor Jesus extravagantly. A lot of times, you know, we we don't really come to church. We're kind of wondering. It's it's almost like a habit. I come to church. I gather with my friends, you know, for a Bible study. And we just sort of go in, uh, you know, but we don't realize who's going to be there with us. And that we're supposed to go there for him. You know, Americans are, are so consumeristic. And we tend to look at being a Christian as what's in it for me. What do I get out of this? You know, the church is sort of a drive-through for conspira- spiritual consumers. And they were treating Jesus like this. There, was, there wasn't the kind of loyalty that you see, that you, you would hope to see. in people whose hearts, you know, actually cared about God and valued him. She prepared her heart. She went into this gathering ready to honor Jesus extravagantly, which is something we're supposed to do. We're supposed to recognize who he is, and then we're supposed to come and gather prepared to honor him extravagantly. And you know, it doesn't mean you always have to be up. You always have to be happy. To You know, you know you, one of the ways you honor Jesus is when you tell him how your life sucks. It sucks. It honors him because you come to him and say, Lord, I want you to know how hard this week has been. You don't have to come in happy. Uh, Some people are taught that. Like, you can only please God if you're always happy and you're always in a good mood and you're always kind. Hey, that's just not true. We're supposed to come to him the way we are and open our hearts up to him as they are, without pretense. That honors him. See? And you may come to church and go, I don't have much to give to him. I just but I'm gonna give him the struggles I have. I'm gonna give him, open my heart up to him because that honors him. Because that relates to him authentically. And that's what he wants. And that's where, you know, when you do that, a depth starts forming in your relationship with God that will surprise you, that you will find carrying outside these four walls into your life. Because you'll start realizing. He just wants me to let him know who I am and where I'm at, wherever it is. And he, you start experiencing it. He really loves you right there. Because most of us have two persons. Well, really all of us have two persons. And, and unfortunately, we keep them really far apart. There's the real us. Then there's the false us. And the false us is the person we think everybody wants us to be. And that we need to be so that everyone will like us. But that's not a real person. And so God really only loves the real us. Because this is just false. He doesn't relate to that person. It's not that he doesn't care that we act like that. But he's trying to love us in our weakness and our flaws and our sins and our struggles. Because that's how we grow and change. This is just a mirage. There's nothing to it. The real us... Is who he cares about, good, bad, and ugly, and we have to learn to come to terms of that and relate to him that way. This woman did. You see that? She did. And the third thing she did, she demonstrated this deep affection and gratitude to Jesus, even though it broke social conventions. If, if you recognize who Jesus is when other people don't, and you want to honor him, and, you, and when you begin to connect with him, sometimes praise devotion tears you know uh, uh, it's not uncommon for people to fall on their face out of devotion to christ to weep to delight in him he's more amazing than anything that you can enjoy in this world and he made all these things for us to enjoy but they reflect his goodness but the mistake we make is if we make those things more important than him those things will begin to control our lives and ruin them so he wants us to enjoy what he's made in the world to enjoy him the most but to do that we've got to honor him And, and we have to do it as a community also that's a part of this so simon judged jesus for this welcoming response to the woman he looked at jesus and said doesn't this guy know this woman's a prostitute it looks like she's coming on to him what is wrong with him i thought he was a prophet there's no way he could be a prophet." Now, it says that Simon's thinking this to himself, and that's when Jesus says, Hey, Simon, i got something to say to you. Uh, You think I'm not a prophet? Yeah, I can read your mind. It's a a little humbling moment, because it sounds like he's going to say something wonderful to everybody, but he just points it to Simon. Just right to Simon. Very uncomfortable moment in the banquet. See, here's the thing about Simon. He knew all the right things, and he could say all the right things, and he believed all the right things, But the way he responded to Jesus showed where his heart was really at. Because here's uh, the awkward truth. Simon's reactions expose this truth that our sins are first and foremost against God. You know, Simon started looking at the woman and judging her and saying, man, what is that woman doing in this banquet? And then, oh my gosh, what is she doing next to Jesus? And oh my gosh, Jesus, there's no way he could be a prophet if he can't see how wrong this picture is. And David said something, I'll go back in the Old Testament, in one of his, the famous psalms that he wrote. And it was a psalm he wrote after he had committed adultery and killed the woman whose husband she, he was involved with. He had him killed, and then he lied about it and covered it up. And later on, God, there was... A, there was a, a pause and then God dealt with him. And David wrote this psalm, it's a psalm of, of confession and contrition. And, and in Psalm 51, verse three, he says, I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. So he was talking about the burden that people feel, that we all feel when we have guilt before God, when we've sinned. And David had sinned by misusing his office to take something, another man's wife that wasn't his, although he, he was married, he had kids, he had everything he could want, but he coveted more, which is one of our problems, right? He sleeps with this woman, then he covers it up, then she becomes pregnant, and he goes through this whole scheme that, that utterly blows up in his face, and finally he has the man killed, and, and, and he gets other people involved in his sin, And then here's what he says. So he says, now now, he says, my sin is always before me. So, eventually, he married Bathsheba, and he had another child, and this child became Solomon, King Solomon, who was born out of this relationship. It's amazing. And the word Solomon means loved by God. So it shows you the grace of God. Even a, a, a bad mistake, a bad sin like this. He says, I know my sin. It's always before me. And then he says this, which is amazing. Because that doesn't sound like that whole deal with Bathsheba had anything to do with God, essentially. David says, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge me. And all the commandments that we break, uh, I'll list like, of the Ten Commandments. Dishonoring our parents, murdering, stealing, lying, covening. To break any of those commandments, you have to break the first commandment first, which is, don't have any other gods before me. Because when I lie, I lie for me. When I steal, I steal for me. When I covet, I covet for me. And God says, you're not supposed to be first in your life. I am. And if, if I'm first in your life, I provide you with every good thing you need to enjoy don't violate my commands because they not only harm you, they, and they turn you into something that I never meant for you to be, but they harm other people, and they harm me. And here's the, this is where the heart of God is revealed in this and where, you know, Simon doesn't get it. This judgment he had towards this woman and this judgment he made towards Jesus was something that, that the Bible just condemns over and over and over and over. We can call people on the carpet, we can challenge and confront one another, but we're not supposed to judge. There's a difference. What this guy did was he failed to realize, like we often do, is that when we sin against people, they are not the real victim. God is. Remember what Jesus said? It's, it's, a, it's a familiar passage, it's the easiest one to remember, so I, I like to cite 50 other ones. But Jesus said, however you treat. The least among you, the poor, immigrants, the hungry, prisoners, the naked, the elderly, orphans, the weakest people, the people who have nothing to offer you, that's how you treat me. It's a challenging idea. But it's the, it starts, that whole idea starts in the book of Genesis where God says, everybody around us is an image bearer of God. And they have this incredible dignity. No matter how they act, no matter how, a pri- how vile a crime a prisoner may have committed, and how deserving they are of, of some kind of punishment, they still bear the image of God, and we should treat them with a certain kind of respect. We should treat strangers. Remember we talked a few weeks ago about, about love, how we encounter God when we love our friends and family, when we love our strangers and when we love enemies that the gospel says from the beginning of the book to the end that that kind of love is what we're all destined for and if we love those people we will meet God in them he will become real to us in a way that more real to us than we think he should be this way this is the sad thing really judgmental people and really sinful people are always trying to have this kind of relationship I just want this relationship with God, but I want to be able to do whatever else I want. But it's like saying, God, I don't want you to be God because I want to do whatever I want in my life. And if it hurts other people, well, you know, you'll always forgive me. That shows that your heart hasn't been changed by grace and forgiveness. And so what character at this point in the story, there's three characters in in the story in this this little three-act play. I'll show you the last part of the story here. There's Jesus, there's Simon, and then there's the sinful woman. Which one in the story, let's just say Simon the sinful woman, do you most identify with at this point in your life? Where are you at? Jesus is a guest here every week. He's a guest in your life. He follows you around. Which one of these two people are you more like? As hard as it may be to contemplate that, if, if, you're, you know, if you're drawing the, the point properly. So, here's where the story goes. It's a surprise. Jesus tells a little parable, and the, the parable does point out to Simon how wrong he's been. But this extraordinary guest that we have among us never is about just trying to expose how wrong we are. The parable shows Simon what's really in his heart. He's a Pharisee. The word Pharisee means holy one. These were the most moral people in their community. They were the people who were most serious about their community being in proper order and about worshiping God and loving God. But it's really easy for us to say the right thing with our lips, but our hearts to be way, 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 way away from where our lips are and what we're saying. And again, that's that two-person thing. This woman had closed that gap because she met Jesus. She had already met Jesus before she came to this scene. That's why her heart was changed. When she came in, the change of heart didn't earn her forgiveness. She would already heard the good news through Jesus, and she'd already been changed by it. That's why she came into this scene. Jesus is just confirming that. And he's confirming it for all the people that were there. But this parable explained the woman's love and exposed Simon's heart and behavior, that it was wrong. That he stood before God, not as a holy one, but he stood before God as a debtor. Not the man who owed the 50 denarii, but the one who owed the 500. He thought He didn't know God anything, maybe a little bit. But Jesus exposed him in this story. The man got the story right, but he showed where his heart was. He didn't see that the woman was someone who loved a lot because she'd been forgiven. And he was the person who had not experienced forgiveness and so didn't love. He didn't love Jesus. He didn't respect Jesus. But Jesus was in this little parable inviting him. You see this? He was inviting him to experience what forgiveness could do. And he was basically saying, "Do you want to have a heart of generosity and love and humility and authenticity like this, or do you want to keep being like you are? I don't want to leave you the way you are, the way you are, Simon. I want you to experience what my forgiveness can do in your heart. It can take away all the mess that you've created by the way you've lived your life and it can start your life over I want to read you a story real quick of a man Uh, his name's James Kaldemeyer and he's a a professional fishing guide and he's also a professional fisherman you know like he's on the fishing tour Uh, and when he was 21 years old he had just got married and he was out late one night drinking with friends and, and he caused a car accident while he was driving and it, it resulted in a fatality. 21 years old. His whole life is ahead of him. He gets arrested. He gets, uh, goes through the whole court thing. He's uh, tried and convicted and he, and he spends seven years in prison. In Texas. That's hard time down there. Trust me. Uh, prisons there are are tough places. So, He said about that time, he said, the guilt and the anguish and the hurt that came on my shoulders was just overwhelming. He said, I'd never felt anything like it in my life, and I didn't want to live anymore. I didn't want to keep going forward. And through the seven years in prison, this is is what happened. He said, I think some people God reaches through subtlety. He's able to touch the lives of people in different ways. In my instance, it was through an iron fist and through hard love. He knew I had to reach my bottom before I opened my eyes. I was so hard-headed, I just didn't want to accept him and follow him. When I finally cried out to God, it was a plea of just come and help me. When I surrendered my life to Jesus, it just changed. Everything changed. He says, I lost my business and my wife that I was newly wed to. And I lost everything this life had given me, everything I would worked so hard to gain. But Jesus has also given me the freedom from my sin, the freedom from the life I was living through his forgiveness and his love. He gave me power over alcohol. Not in a strength I had ever known, but a strength new to me. I discovered it was God it was his grace was evident in my life and now you know he's in his 30s and, and he's a, a a pretty well-known guy down there but he's he's still sad about this terrible choice that he made and and the damage it caused but he said what was th- this part of his life that was out of control Jesus changed when he surrendered to him and that's the invitation that you know Jesus was giving Simon and it's, it's really the invitation we have every week is that when we come together, one of the things we got to realize is we have this extraordinary guest, this person that people say when he's around, who is this? Who is this? And that he wants to be around us. Whoever we are, the worst person in that town, was at the foot of this couch, and Jesus welcomed her. The Pharisee, who was, who was openly hostile to him in this humiliating way, Jesus was still reaching out to him and loved him. And everybody in between. The non-religious people, who, who really don't know if they believe in God or if God exists, you know, they, a lot of times their life has not been what they hoped it would be. And so they go, God couldn't be real because if he was real, all this crap that's happened in my life wouldn't have happened. But the gospel says that God took all that for us and he entered into it so we could trust him that he knows what it's like. He experienced it for us on the cross. So we have that opportunity every time, like right now, we gather together. And I was walking into church and, uh, and I, I heard uh, somebody say, uh, To somebody else who prayed for him a week or so ago, uh, you know, you prayed for me, and that pain in my ear is gone, and the pain in my feet is gone, because who is this is here? There's you go read out on the the little prayer wall there the stories. Uh, Like someone there's there's one of the little uh, on on one bulletin board. It says you know you write down the prayers, and then when they get answered, we shift them over the other one, and you see underneath them these amazing stories. Like someone's in church and they wrote, uh, you know, I was about to get my electric and my gas turned off and I needed this much money. And I'm standing in church and someone walks up to me, puts an envelope in my hand. Uh, It's exactly the amount of money that I needed for my gas and my electric. And I was standing there praying, God, do you remember me? And the money gets put in my hand. Who is this? He's always here with us. And we've got to get our heads around this he's different than what we thought he was he's better whatever you think about God he's better than what you think so uh, Adam are you still here anywhere Adam we just gonna I just wanna close and just give God a little space to to speak to you and for you know you to respond to him And, and if you feel like in your heart you know, you've been more like the Pharisee, Simon, in terms of your response to Jesus and, and, and how amazing he is and wonderful he is, then I just want to give you a little space to, to sort that out with him and talk to him and just open your heart up to him. You can be just like this woman who came and stood behind Jesus and just wept and, and said, thank you so much because here's the thing about forgiveness what they understood was a priest after you brought your sacrifice to the temple the Jewish temple if you wanted to be forgiven you bring the best animal in your flock you bring it to the priest you put your hands on the head of the animal and you confess the sins you've committed and then the priest takes the animal and they slit its throat and then they burn it on this huge, like grill as a sacrifice for your sins. And then the priest would say, "You are forgiven." But in this situation, why no one could understand, how can you forgive sins? Jesus was the sacrifice. He was the one. The gospel is always in every story, even when you can't see it. And part of the oil that we used that they, excuse me, that they used in this scene was also oil perfume that was used for dead bodies. It was a, a way of honoring Jesus. And so when this woman came and wept, her she was saying, without knowing it fully, you're taking my sins. You're bearing them away. I don't know how you're doing that, but I believe in you. I believe you alone can do this. Nobody else can do it. You have the power to change me. And if you've Ever had sight of that in your life, but you've lost it? He just invites you to experience his love again and, and to recover that. It's not something you work up. You understand? We don't work anything up for God. We come to him and we experience his welcome, and he lifts burdens off our shoulder like he lifted off of this young man, uh, James, and then our hearts become filled with joy. Our hearts become filled with tenderness and love and, and freedom and gratitude. <clears throat> so I'd like to just sort of close the service this way. We're not gonna do, do anything We just have this music in the background. And where you are, where you're sitting or, or up front here, i just like you to acknowledge to the Lord Especially if you want to come up and prayer. The altar is, you know, in churches is the front of the, the auditorium is like the altar. It's where we, we meet God. It's where we meet his grace. And we don't meet his judgment. Jesus took the judgment for everybody. When we come to Jesus, we meet grace. That's why he suffered and died. Because the wrong that we did should be judged. Every person should feel wrong about injustice. But we've all been agents of injustice. We've all been unjust towards other people. We've all hurt people more than we'll ever know. All of us. No one in this room has avoided that. We're all criminals in that sense, in that way. But all of our sin fell on Jesus. Because God said, I don't want you to live under that. I want your hearts and lives to change. So I just want to allow you to spend some time with who is this, this person. And he wants to meet you wherever you are.